Uh, during this time, Dave and I uh, want you to know that we're working our way through the church directory uh, to check in on folks, to see how people are doing, to see how things are going. Um, in the midst of all of that, if you have any sort of needs uh, that arise during this time, please feel free to reach out to myself, to reach out to Dave, or to reach out to uh, any of our uh, deacons. Uh, we would also ask that during this time uh, that, that, that we would ask that you would please continue to give to the church uh, for the work of the church to continue to go forward. Um, and we've got a, a couple of avenues uh, that you can do that. One of those is by giving online. And the way that you would set that up is by going to uh, our website that you're on right now, ChristPres.com. Uh, and there's a link that will send you to the app that we use to give online. And the name of that app is Give Plus Church. And then you could set that up and, and give that way. Uh, that's one avenue. Uh, the second avenue is just good old-fashioned snail mail. Uh, you can send in um, uh, your, your tithe and your giving to the church through our P.O. Box. And that number is P.O. Box 2237, uh, Winterville, North Carolina, 28590. Um, and during this time where we're apart from each other, the best way to stay up on uh, how we're trying and striving to approach ministry during this time um, is uh, through our churchwide email. So if you have not signed up for the churchwide email, uh, we would encourage you uh, to do that so that you can stay up on what we're, uh, what we're doing. We would also encourage you uh, during this time to, to please uh, follow the advice of our medical community uh, regarding uh, hygiene, regarding uh, social distancing, um, and, and it's a way for us through good hygiene, through social distancing, uh, to love people um, and to love the place uh, where we live. When we sent out our email uh, about this service that we're doing uh, right now, we included in that some links to the songs that we were originally planning uh, to do during this worship uh, service. Uh, and so we would encourage you to, to, to click on those links, to sing those songs together as a family, to sing those songs throughout the day, to, to ponder on their content. Uh, it's our hope that in the future we will be able to include uh, music uh, during uh, this live stream. But at this time, beloved, um, we are uh, gathered, even though it may be not physically, uh, to worship our God in spirit and in truth. And so we want to take a few moments to slow down, uh, to pause, and to reflect. And in a few moments, I will read our call to worship, which is a portion of Psalm 95. But let's uh, reflect uh, quietly and remember God's grace to us in Christ. Psalm 95, as God calls us to worship. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. 
For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. As you go throughout the day, please sing praises to our God. Sing thanksgiving to our God, recognizing that he is our good shepherd. And we are the sheep of his pasture. And we continue to worship by acknowledging uh, the reality that we live in a world that is broken. And acknowledging the reality that our hearts are sinful. And certainly over the course of the last two weeks, the brokenness of this world for many of us has felt even more acute as things seem right at our doorstep. But what's true is that ever since rebellion in the garden, Adam and Eve rebelling against God, brokenness has permeated everything. It's permeated creation, it's permeated humanity, and it even permeates our hearts. Our hearts are broken and our hearts are rebellious and our hearts are sinful. And in the midst of that, God invites us to bring our brokenness and to bring our sinful hearts to him, to acknowledge our sin, to acknowledge our brokenness, and to receive his grace to us through the blood of Jesus. And so we are going to acknowledge our sin together. And it is in the order of worship that we sent out to you, and I would ask that you would say this uh, along with me, and then we will spend a few moments quietly, uh, more particularly bringing and confessing our sins to our gracious God. But let's say this together, beloved. Holy God, out of the overflow of your love, you created all things good. We were made to reflect your glory. Worship, relationships, stewardship, generosity, and love were our calling. But we traded this calling for self-absorption. We cater our lives around personal comfort. We pursue our own agendas at the expense of others. We use Jesus as a means to serve the kingdom of self. Our sin fractures our body, mind, and heart. But your grace is awakening us to our rebellion. Jesus, your death manifests the depth of your love toward us. Your resurrection means new life aligned with your life. Father, forgive us for Jesus' sake. Spirit, change us to live seeking God and his kingdom. Convince us that we are now free to cling to Jesus in every part of life. Jesus, you are our greatest good and our unending need. All is grace. Amen. Now let's take a few moments quietly uh, to more particularly and specifically confess your sins to your God and see that his grace meets you in the blood of Jesus. Gracious Heavenly Father, we confess all of these things in the hope of your mercy, which you have given us in your one and only Son, Jesus, who went to the cross to 
die for our sin and to purchase forgiveness and new life for us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, Beloved, God wants you to hear uh, his assurance of his grace to you, his assurance of his forgiveness to you in Christ. And this comes from the book of 1 John. 1 John tells us that if we confess our sins, our God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us through the blood of Jesus. Uh, Beloved, we have a forgiving and loving and gracious God. And that frees us to declare what it is that we believe about what Christ has done for us, what it is that we believe about who Christ is to us. And we're going to do that this morning by declaring our faith using the Heidelberg Catechism, question number one. And I'm going to read the question out loud to us, and then we will respond by giving the answer together. Beloved of Christ, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because we belong to Christ by his Holy Spirit, he assures us of eternal life and makes us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Beloved, we belong to Christ in life and in death. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm glad that we can do this together. I can open up God's word to you, uh, even though we're far apart physically. Uh, we can still look together at God's Word and try to understand His good news for our lives. Uh, Before I read, I wanted to just give a special thanks to those who have put in an awful lot of time this week to try to pull this off. I want to especially give thanks to Bill Gross and Robbie Quinn, uh, Elizabeth Lee, John Paul, and Cindy Hamilton, and I know there were others that worked really hard to try to pull this off. So I want to give them a special thanks, and if you know them and can text them and thank them for being able to put this together. That would be wonderful for you to do that. They've worked very hard to try to pull this off. Uh, I'm going to read a portion from God's Word to you. This is from the very end of Joshua chapter 4. I'm going to read the last four verses of this chapter. And before I do that, I want to do one more thing. I want to remind you that this year we're looking through the story of the Bible together. And we're, the framework for us doing that are these numbers, 3, 4, and five. So before I read, read, I want to remind you of that framework. Three loves. Love God, love people, love the place where he has put us. Four-part story. God's word gives us a four-part story. Creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. Five threads. Five threads. God has always had a people. God is always building his church. Evil is real, but it never gets the last word. Grace. God initiates, pursues, saves. He has done it. Jesus accomplished something. He did it. 
everything is moving toward Jesus. Number five, everything is moving toward Jesus. So with that framework in mind, I hope many of you remember that. I'd like to read the last few verses of Joshua chapter four. We're going to look at these two chapters today. They both, both chapters tell the exact same story. Here's Joshua three, the last few, Joshua four, the last few verses. This is God's word for you and for me. This is a portion of a letter from home. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that in these next few moments you would help us understand the story that's recorded for us in Joshua 3 and 4, that you would help us to connect this story to Jesus and good news and that today we might be refreshed with the reality that you act in this world, that you bless your people, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Work those truths into us, Lord, such that we have an instinct to cling to them because we want to cling to you. We pray this, that we might know you, Jesus. We pray this, that you might get glory. Amen. This morning, we're going to think about this idea of anticipation. A few weeks ago, John Paul talked to us about the idea of transitioning. And here in chapters 3 and 4 of Joshua, we're thinking about anticipating together. Now, I ask you as you gather and think through this idea with me of anticipation, what is it that you're anticipating? My hunch is, if you're like me, you've got an awful lot of things that you're anticipating that aren't exactly positive. You might be anticipating, what does my job look like now? I mean, look at me. I'm looking at a camera. What does your job look like? You're anticipating all kinds of changes. You're anticipating changes at work, whether that's new protocols. You're anticipating things at home. Uh, Are you going to be able to find enough supplies? We are anticipating all kinds of changes. And there's so many other things that we can't even anticipate. But this morning, I want you to anticipate something else. This passage is talking to us and and indicating that we can anticipate God's blessing. So I want to ask in the midst of all the realities that are true in your life, are you anticipating God's blessing? Because this passage is is, is telling us that we can anticipate God's blessing. We're going to look at that in three ways. Standing on the outside, entering in, and remembering. So let's walk through this story together as we figure out how to anticipate God's blessing. Standing on the outside. As the text opens up, we realize that God's people have just been mourning the death of Moses for 30 days. And after Moses' death and after God's people mourned, what they did is they were standing on the outside of the land of promise. They, weren't, they did not enter in yet. They were on the outside waiting In the first part of chapter 3, what you find in verse 4 is that God's people actually had to stand back from this contraption called the Ark of the Covenant. 
God said that when you see the ark, you need to stand 2,000 cubits, which is more than half a mile away from the ark of the covenant. If you look in verse 4, it says, so that you can see where you're supposed to go because you've never traveled this way before. So God's people had to stand back from the ark more than half a mile because if everybody was on top of the ark, you couldn't see where you were going and where you were supposed to go. But if you stand back, you can recognize what is going on, what movements are taking place, and then can respond accordingly. But not only do God's people have to stand on the outside even more than half a mile from the ark, what we also see is that they had to consecrate themselves. If you look in verse 5, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord your God is going to work wonders among you. God's people can anticipate the next day that God was going to do something. So what did they do? Stay more than a half a mile behind the ark and consecrate themselves, meaning they had to surrender their lives to God. They had to surrender who they were to God as they waited for him to act. Well, they're standing on the outside. Here's the second thing. The the text also tells us that they entered in. We get to read about that over and over in these two chapters, that God's people actually entered in. Now, here's what the text tells us was the signal for God's people to move. As you might guess, it had something to do with the ark. It's mentioned 17 times. The ark is mentioned some 17 times in these two chapters. The signal for their movement was this, that the ark began to move. The ark moved first. So, the priests of God that were designated carried the ark, and when they picked up the ark and began to walk into the Jordan River, as soon as the soles of their feet touched the Jordan River, the waters dried up, and God's people saw that movement of the ark, and they were signaled, it is time for us to follow the ark. Now, here's what ended up happening. The priests carried the ark into the Jordan River. Jordan River, the bed dried up. The ark stayed in the middle of that dry riverbed, and God's people passed by the ark and into the land. And once the last person crossed the dry riverbed, the priests themselves would then move the ark to the other side of the banks, and the water began to run like it was before. Now, what's so interesting about this, if you look in verse 15 of chapter 3, we find this little editorial comment. It actually makes it really hard to read. If you were to go back and read this chapter 3 out loud, that section, verses 13 through 15, and following even a little bit after that, it's really hard to get this phrase in there. This little parenthetical statement in verse 15, it says, in this time of year, the Jordan always overflowed its banks, for it was the time of harvest. That little editorial comment is telling us something very important. It's saying that this was the time of year in which the Jordan overflowed its normal boundaries to the point that it covered up all kinds of jungle brush and trees and huge rocks. In other words, God's people had no human capability to stop the water. It meant that they couldn't do anything to cross the Jordan. It meant that God 
has the power, the exclusive power to do it. What that means is that there are lots of things in our lives where we have to wait and watch God work. It means that there are a lot of things in our lives in which God has to move because unless he does something, we are absolutely incapable of doing anything. Now, here's what else it means, that God puts this tension in our relationship with him because not only do we need to watch God and observe God and what he does, but we also have to respond and act appropriately. So God's people, when the ark started moving, yes, God was the one that initiated. Yes, God was the one that dried up the waters. But they were to follow the ark. They were to walk across the riverbed of the Jordan River. They were to do everything that God said. But at the end of the day, they just couldn't take credit for it. God alone got the glory. That leads to the next thing about them entering in. It's not just that their entering into the land was signaled by the movement of the ark. We also notice from the text that humanly speaking, the leader of God's people was Joshua. Joshua was the one that God had raised up in order to lead his people. We find that God's people were watching for Joshua, what he was going to do. If you look at verse 11, Joshua is addressing God's people, and he says to them in verse 11, it's, it's like he, he bursts out with excitement. He says, look, the ark is moving. The ark is moving. Behold, God is passing through the waters. So God's people listened to Joshua. Joshua said the ark is moving, and God's people followed because they knew what to do. Now, this is also telling us something really important, something very practical for our lives. Something, this is telling us something that we have waited a long time to see in the story that we have in the Bible. You see, God puts a very high value on alignment. God loves it when there is alignment between him, between God, his leaders, and the people. God loves it when there's alignment. You see, for so long, God's people have had times in which the people didn't trust the leaders. They wanted to kill Moses and Aaron. There are other times in which the leaders didn't trust the people because they were obnoxiously setting up idols and serving other gods, wanting to do other things. There are even times in which leaders were not following God. Remember Moses raising his hand to God as an act of defiance? And as John Paul mentioned, in the ancient Near East, it was even to raise your hand was even like an, raising your hand was like a declaration of war. What we see here is something that we have been waiting on. There is alignment between God and the leadership and the people. And when that happens... God's people know tremendous blessing. Now, before I define blessing for you, because that's really important, I just want to remind you of things, things that we can reflect on and think about. There have always been three challenges to alignment. There's always been three challenges to alignment. Cover these quickly. The first is narcissism. The second is pragmatism. And the third is traditionalism. 
We always know when something is out of alignment, when one of these three things are going on. Narcissism is when we think that everything that's going on is just about me and what I want. You can see that in the leaders. You can see that in the people. There are times in which God's leaders wanted to do their own thing and serve themselves, and God said, nope, that is not the way that things should happen. There are times in which the people try to take matters into their own hands and say, this is about us. God says, no. Not only is there narcissism, there's also pragmatism. This is when we think and we act as if God is the best way to get the results that I want. So, we end up thinking that we don't really want God for God's sake. We want God's blessings, God's benefits, without really wanting God. And the third is traditionalism. And this is simply the mentality that thinks, you know, I don't really want to think too deeply about what God says. I don't really want to think too deeply about what he says and how it has relevance in my life. I just kind of want to go through the motions. I kind of want to show up when I need to show up. And God is saying, no. Our hearts are supposed to be engaged with who I am and what I'm saying and what I'm doing. And here in Joshua 3 and 4, what we have is alignment. And therefore, God's people know this extraordinary blessing. And let's be clear, blessing is not materialism. That's not what blessing is at all. To have God's blessing in truth, to know God's blessing is this, that we are thinking God's thoughts. We are a blessed people when we are listening to him and following what he says. We are a blessed people when we are centering our lives on him, whether that's from a leadership or from the congregation. That God is the center of all that we are. God's blessing is, is simple obedience. Obedience doesn't get God's blessing. God's blessing empowers us to simply, simply obey. Knowing God's blessing means that we are growing in maturity and wisdom. It means we're seeking first his kingdom, and his kingdom means more to us than any other kingdom. It means that we have God, and that in having God, we feel and we know that we have everything. Well, God's people enter into the land. Thirdly, remembering. When you look at this passage, the portion that I read for you was one of the things that we see uh, is a way that God wants us to remember. You see, when God's people passed through the dry riverbed on dry ground, Joshua said, we need a representative from each tribe to go back into the dry riverbed, 12 of you, grab stones, pull them out of the dry riverbed, and we want you to put, to pile up all these stones over here on, around Gilgal. And what I read to you almost, it, it, it communicates this, this amazing uh, story of what, this illustration of what could happen. Joshua's thinking ahead. He's imagining a time in which God's people are in the promised land and thinking, what if at this point you are a grandparent? And you're taking a walk through Gilgal National Park with your grandchildren. 
and you're walking around exploring and enjoying what you see and hear, and you come across this gigantic pile of stones. And on that day when you're with your children and your children's children, if they look up to you and they say, what is, what is it, what's this big pile of stones doing here? You get to look at them and say, let me tell you how powerful our God is. These stones are to be a memorial so that for generations to come, forever, we can tell our children and our children's children and our children's children's children about how amazing and powerful our God is because those rocks that you see, there's no possible way that we could have gotten them ourselves. God had to dry up the Jordan River during the time in which it was a raging torrent so that we could take these rocks out and say, this is how powerful our God is. This is what God has done so that we could cross over into the land of promise. Friends, I'd ask you, what are your spiritual stones of remembrance? What are the things that you have in your life, that you've experienced in your life, in which you can tell others, your family, your children, this is how powerful God is. Maybe it's a book that you've read that had a profound impact on your life. Maybe it is difficult times that you've been through in which you know the grace of God. Because had you not been in that difficult time, you wouldn't know God's presence in that way. Maybe it's the scars that you have. Because oftentimes those scars, by God's grace, become profoundly redemptive. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe you can remember stories that your parents or your grandparents told you about God's faithfulness. Friends, cling to those things. Have those memorials so that you can have a fresh reminder of God's power and goodness in fulfilling his promises and in loving his people. Well, to try to illustrate all of this about anticipating God's blessing, I want to just briefly try to give you an illustration of how all this fits together. You remember what it's like to be standing on the outside? Perhaps you can think back to a time in which you traveled to a concert to, see, to hear a band, one of your favorite bands, or perhaps you went to a sporting event to watch one of your favorite teams. Do you remember what it's like sitting or standing on the outside, you know, where the doors were locked and you couldn't get in yet? You were on the outside. Now, if you're a football fan in the South, we call this tailgating, where you get together and eat with one another and friends and even eat other people's food. It's a time in which we're getting ready, we're anticipating the entering the stadium. You remember what it's like to have to wait to enter in? That's what God's people were doing here. They were on the outside waiting to enter in. But do you remember what it's like to enter in? The doors are open, the gates are unlocked, and you're able to get into the venue, find your seat, go to the place in which you're gonna sit with your friends. Do you know that what it's like to enter in and the anticipation is building and the players are on the field and perhaps they're practicing whatever it is. The band begins to play the first song. You know what it's like to enter in and experience that. That's what's happening in this passage. That God's people have entered in and they have tasted it and they have walked on this earth that God had promised them for hundreds of years. And they're with their friends and their family. 
And they are experiencing the fulfillment of God's promise to have and enter into this land. Do you know what it's like to remember those things? Have those things continue, continue to come back to your mind? When I was young, of course, I grew up a Tennessee fan, as you know. I remember the first time that I went to Neyland Stadium. But there's something else about my childhood. I not only was a Tennessee fan, but I did enjoy North Carolina. I enjoyed North Carolina basketball. And it was always a dream of mine to get into the Dean Dome. It was on my bucket list. I know some of you out there that are Duke fans and State fans. I'm sorry. Hopefully you can get into this story in some way. But you know, when I moved to Eastern North Carolina, I was able to go into the Dean Dome. And it sure was fun riding to the stadium with friends and waiting on the outside with the anticipation of what it would be like on the inside. Then entering into the stadium itself and looking around at history and knowing how long the stadium had been there. And then I remember what it was like when tip-off happened and the food I was able to eat. And then I remember toward the end of the game, this, there's this video that the university has put together. And what happens is the video runs through all of the great highlights and memories of North Carolina basketball. And then the video ends with different players saying, we are North Carolina. And it culminates with Michael Jordan saying, I am North Carolina basketball. And of course, the crowd is excited and enthused. And friends, that is just a shadow of the reality of when we experience and know the blessing of God into our lives. We can anticipate God's blessing too. The other thing about remembering in this text is this. If you notice at the end of chapter 4 of Joshua, there's a date that's given. It was the first month and the 10th day. Friends, that's there because God's people are supposed to remember that 40, roughly 40 years ago to the day, they were in Egypt. And they had no human capability. There was no way for them to get out. But God had pursued them. God had heard them. God raised up someone named Moses. And God brought them out of bondage. That they might leave Egypt and be his people and worship him and live for him. 40 years to the day, here they are, knowing more of God's blessing, crossing over into the land together. And remembering that time in Egypt and God bringing them out only enhanced the experience that they were having on this day 40 years later. And friends, as we remember these types of things, it only points us forward to anticipate the greatest good. And the greatest good for you and me is Jesus. This whole passage is showing us in, in types and shadows the coming of Jesus. You know, there was someone who was to come a thousand years from Joshua, whose name would mean the same. My God saves. 
His name is Jesus. Whatever appropriate things Joshua did here in leading his people, he would fall and fail. He was a broken man in heart and in life. But Jesus is the true leader of God's people. The priests that were responsible to carry the ark, beloved, Jesus is the true priest that is the presence of God. Jesus is the ark. He is where the justice of God and the mercy of God kiss. He is where the grace of God and the law of God make sense. He is the good news that God is gracious to us and that he loves us. Jesus is the true mercy seat. And Jesus is the one that does everything that we need to bring us to the Father. He is the one that holds our hand, as the Hebrews chapter 2 gives us the image of, and brings many sons to glory. Jesus is the one that enables us by holding our hand to cross through the valleys of life so that we will be with God forever. And with Jesus, where he takes us, it's not that we end up with this little strip of land like God's people were here in Joshua 3 and 4 that's about the size of the state of Maryland. It's just, this is just a shadow of the full inheritance that Jesus brings us, which is the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus brings us into life everlasting with our Father. Beloved, he does all this through his death and his resurrection, through his obedience, through his suffering, through his exaltation, so that we would give our lives to him, so that each day as we live, we would anticipate God's blessing. Because in Jesus, all of God's promises are yes and amen. That's good news. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can learn about you even from Joshua 3 and 4, that we can see the way in which you live for us perfectly, that you represent us to God, and that one day you will bring us into our eternal inheritance. Thank you. May we live lives anticipating your blessing, Father, because we cling to Christ. Holy Spirit, affix our hearts and our affections more and more to Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, beloved, as you continue your day and the rest of the week, I want to remind you that if you look back through the church-wide email, there are some questions that Cindy sent out. There are about four of them. So if you want to talk about those or um, if you want to interact with those, you're welcome to text me or email John Paul as well. Um, we would like for you to, to think about the things that we have done this morning together through Psalm 95, through the confessing our faith, through confessing our sin, through thinking about Joshua 3 and 4, through the songs that we have provided for you to listen to. Um, interact with those and think about the content of what we've talked about. Beg Jesus, beg the Spirit, beg the Father to help you anticipate God's blessing more and more as we go through this very difficult time. But know that whatever you do this week, God will be with you. Don't panic. Don't panic. 
Trust, even when it's hard and difficult. Trust God. Here's an example of how God has promised to bless you. So I hope that you will hear this and receive this, knowing that everything I'm going to say to you has been bought by the blood of your Savior. The Lord is going to bless you, and he is going to keep you. This week, his smile is upon you, and he will be gracious to you. This week, beloved, even now, his very presence is with you. And one day, he will make all things new, and there will be peace forever and ever, all because of Christ. Amen.